This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. So the title of this message is Depression and Our Emotions. Depression and Our Emotions. What makes us feel depressed? So let me ask you this. Sometimes when someone walks up, a friend of yours or a family member, you normally say, well, how are you feeling? We never do the same thing, but say, how are you thinking? Because how you think determines how you feel. So we ask them, how are you feeling? And then they tell us. They may say, I'm feeling horrible. Feeling horrible in your emotions is a direct result of how you first are thinking. How you think determines what you do next and determines how you feel. And so that's what we're looking at, depression and our emotions. The mind is what caused people to feel the way they feel. An exception to this is when a child does something wrong and the parent asks this question, what were you thinking? Never what were you feeling, but if the child is acting up, more than likely it did start from how he was thinking and then he acted on how he was thinking and he was acting wrongly, but that could have resulted from how he was feeling deep inside. He may have been angry. So depression is an emotion that affects every person on this earth. Somebody says, well, I'm always happy I'm never depressed. They're telling you a lie. We all struggle with depression at times. Some people get into a state of depression and they don't know how to get out. And we're going to look at a lot of God's saints from long ago in God's word, the greatest of the saints. And we're going to see that they got depressed. It's just part of being human. No one is immune to having this feeling, but how we respond to the feeling of depression sets the course for how long it will last and what the results of it will be. All through God's word, we see God's key people in history dealing with depression. Listen to this by the psalmist. He says in Psalm 42, 5, why are you in despair, O my soul? I can see your physical bodies. You can see mine. That's the material part of us. But I have a soul and a spirit, and all of you have a soul and a spirit. The soul is where your mind is, where you think. The soul is where your emotions are, where you feel. And the soul is where your will is, where you make choices. After lunch, what you do next will originate in your mind. And then how you feel will guide you what you're going to do next after lunch. And then after lunch, you'll exercise your will and you'll do what you feel, which originates from how you think. It's just the way it is. You line up dominoes across the table. You push over one, it pushes over all the rest. Your mind affects your emotions, your feelings, and your feelings affects your will. We want the Holy Spirit to control our will so that our feelings won't control us. So we have to change how we think in our minds. Paul said, be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you don't, you'll find yourself living a life of confusion. And so, why are you in despair, 
oh my soul. It's like the psalmist, he's asking his own soul, with all the happy memories that you do have, why are you concentrating only on what's wrong? Why not also concentrate on all the wonderful things that has happened in your life? I just left the home of an African-American man who's 87, and I brought with me to his home this morning a bag of Chick-fil-A, and I brought a man, his name is Charlie, he visited my men's class at Bellevue Baptist Church this past Sunday, and so I introduced them to one another. You say, why did you introduce them? Because they reminded me so much of one another. They both were born and raised in the South. They both were born and raised to farmers. They both knew what it was like to have an outdoor bathroom. They both knew what it was like to have to get up and get busy in the morning. You had to milk the cows and you had to to feed the chickens. And then you did all that before you went off to school. And both of these men have done very well. They saved money from the time they were young all the way up to the present day, one being 87 now, one being 72, and they both are really enjoying life. One, though, is in a wheelchair. He's had some physical difficulties, but he's still positive. He's still positive. I like to listen to these men, both African-American men. One worked for General Motors. The other one worked for the Flying Tigers, which originated in Louisiana, and that's where Mr. Barry was born. The Flying Tigers eventually became FedEx, and it's known all over the world. Mr. Berry retired from FedEx with a great pension. His wife retired from South Central Bell with a great pension. And then Charlie retired from General Motors, and then he went to work helping underprivileged children in Detroit, Michigan. And then he eventually retired from that. This is why I wanted to be with them this morning. I went by, got Chick-fil-A, went to Mr. Berry's house. Charlie drove over in Lakeland, Tennessee because I wanted them to hear one another's story. I had heard their stories. I wanted them to share their stories with one another. These men did well, but they put their mind to it. They got it in their mind. I've got to come off the farm. I've got to look for something better. And then they did, and they stuck with it. Instead of going from job to job, they got a good job, and they stuck with it, and now they're most blessed. He lives in a beautiful home in Lakeland, Tennessee. And I just left there, got on the interstate, and came straight here, and now we're preaching on the subject of depression. Both of them have gone through depression because both of them have lost their wife. And they were married, both of them, for over 40 years. They didn't sleep with many women. They slept with one woman, their wife, who they loved and respected and cared for. So there's just such an encouragement. I just told them, I said, I wish all of our kids in the United States of America, I wish they could all listen to you tell your story. Mr. Barry said one time his math teacher told him, Barry, you can do better than what you're doing. And he said, it got on my mind, and I thought, I can do better. And so I started doing better. He said, that one sentence she said affected the rest of his life. And then one man told Mr. Barry, if you keep going the way you're going, your life is not going to be worth anything. And he said, I never got these things out of my mind. And when I would want to slack off, this would come to my mind. And he said, I would keep going forward. And with tears in his eyes, just a few minutes ago, he said this, I'm so glad that I just kept going. And so how you think determines what you do, and that determines how you feel. It's like our soul, which is where our emotions are. It's like two things can be happening. It's like a tennis match. 
and you got two people playing tennis. One is pessimistic, always negative, always thinking about what's wrong, and never thinking about all the good that's already happened. The other one is a person who walks by faith, and they're playing tennis together. One pessimistic, the other walking by faith, and the one walking by faith wins because he's thinking about what can be. The pessimist pulls back, slows down. It's not going to work anyway. I'm not going to win. So they stop trying, and they lose every match. Now, I want you to think of Job. Some people love the book of Job because so many people identify with what Job thought. Job really did go through a hard time. Satan went after Job, and God allowed it to happen. But think about Job in Job chapter 3. He's losing his wealth, he's losing his health, and he's losing his reputation. My friend, listen, you lose your health, you lose your wealth, and lose your reputation. There is a feeling it's over. Nobody's going to hire me. I've lost my reputation. My wealth is gone. Not only that, I'm losing my health, so I won't be able to work. That's almost a fear that would come upon you of death. Job chapter 3, verse 1. Job opened his mouth, and he cursed the day of his birth. Now, we all know the story of Job. He came out of this, but he got to a point. He was so low that he cursed the day he was born. If you're feeling that way this morning, keep listening to this message. Job chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? Who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures? And then down in verse 26, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. What's happening is in his soul, which is in his physical body, where his mind, will, and emotions are. His mind, will, emotions are going back and forth, back and forth. All this is happening within him. He feels pessimistic, but at the same time, he knows he needs to walk by faith. He's torn between the two. Think about Moses. The Bible calls Moses a great man of faith. Think about him in Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 through 15. You know, he tried to lead the children of Israel, but they murmured, they complained, and they would not follow him until things got worse, and then they would follow him some more, and they found themselves wandering round and round in the wilderness, complaining. Numbers chapter 11, 14 through 15. Moses said this. He said, I alone am not able to carry all these people. It was more than two million people. He was carrying them. They were walking. He said, I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. Moses asked God to kill him. Job said, I just want to die. I wish I'd never been born. Moses is saying, just kill me. Depression. It gets a hold of us and holds us down. He says this to God. Moses says, if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses struggles with faith in God to help him in caring for the children of Israel. And then in despairs, he says, kill me at once. Simply, I'm so depressed, I cannot take it 
anymore. That's what Moses was saying. A man of great faith. Think of Jonah. He got swallowed up by the whale. Think of him. Just last year, in September, Jeff Patrick and I were right there where this happened. Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. Jonah said this, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. He is conflicted within himself. Have you ever just felt conflicted within yourself and you didn't understand why? What's wrong with me? I just would rather die. Job said this. Moses said this. Jonah said this. Think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He wrote most of the New Testament. This is what he said. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, talking about himself, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. It's almost like he's saying we were so depressed that we just simply wanted to die. It would be easier. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of state of depression? You see, Paul was discovering that all of his natural abilities were gone. They tried everything they knew to do. It wasn't working. They could no longer deal with their affliction. It was just simply beyond their strength. Think of Jesus. He only lived 33 years. He is God. Think of him in Matthew 26, 37 through 38. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Listen, the one who died for you on the cross, the Bible says he was grieved and distressed. But at the same time, the Bible teaches us Jesus never sinned, not one time in thought or deed. Matter of fact, he was sinless. Therefore, he took upon our sin and died on the cross. But this is what the Bible says, God's holy word. This is what it says about Jesus. In verse 38 of Matthew 26, then he said to them, my soul, notice the word soul. Jesus said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. You know what he did? He went a little ways to pray. Here's your answer. When you feel so depressed that you just want to curse the day that you were ever born like Job, and you say, God, just go ahead and kill me. Jesus was deeply distressed. He went away to pray. It's what he did. Because when we begin to pray, our mind begins to line back up with the will of God. Talking about Matthew 26 here, 37 and 38, where Jesus was distressed. He said, I was grieved in my soul, where the mind, the will, and the emotions are. One commentator wrote this about this passage I just read about Jesus. This is what he said. He said, talking about Jesus, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He frankly told Peter, James, and John that his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. This was doubtless the unspeakable revulsion of his holy soul as he anticipated becoming a sin offering for all of us. We who are sinful cannot conceive what it meant to him, the sinless one, to be made sin for us. It is not surprising that he left the three and went a little farther into the garden. No one else could share his suffering 
or pray his prayer. And this was his prayer. Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Lest we think this prayer expressed reluctance or a desire to turn back, we should remember his words in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Listen to what Jesus said. My soul is troubled. You have a soul. I'm looking at your physical body. You have a soul inside of you. I cannot see your soul. I have a soul in my body. You cannot see my soul. There's wind in the trees, but you can't see the wind. But you can see the activity of the wind in the trees. And I can be with you for a few minutes. You can be with me for a few minutes. And it'll tell you what's going on in my soul. Because that's where we think. That's where we feel. And we have a will. That's where we make our decision what to do and then do it. Jesus said about himself. He said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. What is Jesus saying? It's the will of God the Father for God the Son, who was sinless, to become our sin and die completely on the cross so that we can have a home in heaven. I'm glad he did that. But the anguish of soul that Jesus experienced, no one ever felt what he felt. But what did he do? He said, not my will, but thine be done. When you feel depressed and you don't understand, spend some time in meditation and just simply say, God, I'm willing for you to make me willing to surrender my will to your control. And I choose not to make any decisions based on how I feel, but solely based on you and your word, I surrender. So Jesus said, therefore, in praying that the cup might pass from him, he was not asking to be delivered from going to the cross. That was the very purpose of his coming into the world. The prayer was not intended to elicit an answer, but to teach us a lesson. Jesus was saying, in effect, my father, if there is any other way by which ungodly sinners can be saved, then by my going to the cross, reveal that way now. But in all of this, I want it known that I desire nothing contrary to your will, father. What was the answer? There was none. The heavens were silent. By this eloquent silence, we know that there was no other way for God to justify guilty sinners than for Christ, the sinless Savior, to die as our substitute. He was anguished in soul, but he said, not my will, yours be done. And it meant he had to die. And listen, if he had not died, my friend, there would be no way we could ever get into heaven. The only way to get into heaven is through the death of Jesus Christ. I'm glad, even in that anguish and distress in his soul, that he followed through and completed what God sent him to do. Here is one definition a psychologist gave of depression. This is what he said. It is a condition marked by an inability to concentrate. Insomnia, just can't sleep. Feelings of dejection and guilt and a reduction in activity. A person who is depressed, they can't concentrate. They can't focus. They have a hard time sleeping. 
and they have this feeling of dejection and these feelings of guilt. And then they are less active, so they accomplish less, and it makes things worse. In recent history, here are some of the world-renowned men who suffered from depression. The most quoted preacher that has ever lived, his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He suffered with depression. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of England's finest preachers who spoke to 10,000 people each week in his biography, Arnold Dalimore wrote, what he suffered in those times of darkness, we may not know. Even his desperate calling on God brought no relief. There are dungeons, Spurgeon said, beneath the castles of despair. I know that he had gout in his legs. I know he was overweight, but he was one of the most brilliant preachers that ever lived. And he struggled with depression, but he did keep going. He kept studying, he kept writing, he kept preaching. But at the same time, he did struggle with depression. Winston Churchill, considered one of the greatest leaders of all time. Winston Churchill sank into spells of depression. He called it the black dog on my back. Abraham Lincoln, who brought slavery out of the United States, he suffered from melancholy, a condition that now may be referred to as clinical depression. I'm telling you, we're talking Jesus. We're talking the Old Testament saints. And we're talking about modern-day well-known leaders. I know of no one who doesn't struggle some with depression. I know some people who are so depressed that they're destroying their whole life. Depression is very real. An article in the Journal of American Medical Association suggested that more human suffering has resulted from depression than from any other single disease affecting mankind. Signs of depression are sadness, apathy, inertia, difficult to get going, difficulty in making a decision, loss of energy, and fatigue, often accompanied by insomnia, pessimism, hopelessness, loss of interest in work, and usual activities. There are masked reactions. They smile outside to hide inner despair, hidden even from themselves. A person can so deny that they're not depressed. I'm not depressed. They begin to believe their own lie because they are. They tend to complain. They become hypochondriacs. They may not really be sick, but they say that they are. They make up problems to tell other people, this is why I'm the way that I am. They become negative people. People don't want to be around them because they actually make other people feel depressed by listening to them. They are angry. They have temper outbursts and impulsive behaviors. They have confusion all in their life. There are different degrees of depression. Light depression, where we work through it like a mood swing. Moderate depression, where we begin to lose function at work, eating, sleeping, and thinking. Severe depression, where we withdraw and simply cannot function. With this topic in mind, let's look into an event in the life of Elijah, God's prophet. What happened to Elijah that caused him to go from a great prophet to a coward? 
We think of Elijah. We think about the miracles God did through Elijah. Great and mighty things. I mean, fire from heaven coming down. That's Elijah the prophet. He turned in to a coward. What happened? King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, was killing off the Lord's prophets. And the prophet Obadiah had hidden 100 of them in caves. With all odds against him, Elijah challenged the king. You see this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals, that is, those other gods, not Jehovah God of the Bible, the other gods, the gods of Baal. Verse 19, Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel. Jeff Patrick and I was just there September of last month, standing right there where all this happened. You can still see the rock where there's black ash everywhere on it. And it says, Together with 450 prophets, Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, the Asherah is another false god, who eat at Jezebel's table. Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a showdown. This is Elijah. He's confident. He's a prophet of God. He's watched God do miracles in his life. And now he's challenging false gods. And he's standing with the only one true God, Jehovah God of the Bible. And so Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a showdown. He mocked the prophets of Baal for not calling down fire from heaven. Three times he ordered water poured on the sacrifice and prayed. The Lord sent fire from heaven and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also dried up the water in the trench. He watered everything down, the wood, the sacrifice, and everything. And they said, no way you could start a fire here. It's too much water. Elijah called to God in heaven, and God sent the fire down in front of everybody and burned it all up and even the soil underneath it. That's a miracle from God. Elijah's a witness to it. He's making a fool of the prophets of Baal. And so, then Elijah had them seize the 450 prophets of Baal and had them slaughtered. Fire from heaven, everybody's, oh my word, Elijah called down that fire from heaven. Now he said, slaughter 450 of Baal's prophets, and they did. Everybody's watching this. Elijah's watching this. This is miracle. This is a miracle. How could such a courageous man ever suffer from depression? If you see God work that way in your life, how could you ever be depressed? But he got very depressed. What caused his depression? It started in Elijah's mind. Your soul is in your body. In your soul is where your mind, your will, and emotions are. Elijah's depression started in his mind. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. It's like, wow, this prophet of Jehovah God has done all this. 450 prophets from Baal, they're dead. Fire came down from heaven. We all watched it. So he told his wife Jezebel, who was an evil, evil woman. Verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, one person who spoke to his ears. And this is what that messenger said. So may the gods do to me and even more. Jezebel is saying this. The messenger is giving her words to Elijah. So may the gods do to me even more if I do not make your life 
as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. A single messenger. After all that Elijah had watched is now coming and saying, you're going to die tomorrow at this time. Elijah now loses faith in God and struggles in his soul because of the words of a human being. How could he doubt God after what he saw? First Kings chapter 19 verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. After all that success, he's now saying, Kill me, Lord, because one woman who was evil, wicked, satanic, and possessed said, By this time tomorrow you're going to die. And now he is an absolute coward. Stood before the prophets of Baal, and now he's a coward. So when you're depressed, what are the results? Let's look at his life. He wanted to be in isolation. After lunch, when you leave, will you go somewhere to be by yourself? First Kings 19, 3 and 4. And he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He even said, servant, stay here. He wanted to be alone. And what happened, he became so preoccupied in his mind of what was wrong. Instead of God and his will being the focus, self becomes the focus. In other words, instead of just like Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. I trust you. Elijah's saying, what's going to happen to me? Our focus must be on our Christ image, not our self image. Verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Let's remember, we must never let our feelings override truth. The words of Jezebel entered the mind of Elijah, and then Elijah's feelings overrode the truth. The truth in this story, Elijah had just watched the miracles of God on his behalf. Now his faith is struggling. He's doubting truth and believing in feelings. You cannot trust your feelings. Feelings are like a football. You never know which way they'll bounce. Put your faith in the facts of the Word of God. Let your feelings come and go as they will. We must set our mind on truth and keep doing this until our feelings line up with the truth. Our worldview must be centered on God and His Word, or this world system controlled by Satan will surely trump truth in our minds. Be careful who and what you listen to. Elijah became depressed because he heard that his life was going to be taken from him. First Kings 19, 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. So what's the remedy for all this? The world's advice is to think positive and in your own strength overcome depression. That's what the world says. Just think positive. God says, trust me, I'll do it. You've seen all that I've done. Keep trusting me. God says, surrender, let me control you. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. But we have this treasure, talking about the gospel message, the good news of Christ. In earthen vessels, our physical body is a picture of an earthen vessel that can break and can crumble. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. You are not a coper, you are a conqueror. In other words, 
I'm in a frail body. Our physical bodies are dying every day. But I have God who created the heavens and the earth. He lives inside of me. In Christ, I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. That's the mindset. That's the mindset of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but thine be done. Before that, he said, if this cup can pass me, let it pass from me. Not my will be done, but thine be done. So he's talking about surrender is what he's talking about. Why can we think this way? Because it is the truth of the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now let's consider how God lovingly restored Elijah to spiritual health after he was so depressed that he wanted to die. God sustained Elijah physically. 1 Kings 19, 5 through 8. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He didn't tell Elijah to do something spiritual. He said, kneel down and pray. He didn't tell him to do that. He said, get up and eat. He knew Elijah needed rest and restoration. You may be depressed here today. God knows right where you are and he loves you. But you got to do what Jesus did. Not my will, but thine be done. And then God nourishes you, sustains you. You've got to let go and let God have all there is of you. This makes you think of a time of ministry with Jesus and his disciples. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. There were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. God sustained Elijah spiritually. First Kings 19, 11 and 12. So he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. God revealed himself in mighty power, just like he had with the destroying of the prophets of Baal. But God then reveals himself with a gentle wind. God was reminding Elijah where his faith and his source and strength must come from. So, I close with this. Remember the Apostle Paul's words in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking. That's your mind. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind like concrete on the things above, not on the things that are here on this earth. Don't do like Elijah. He got so focused on Jezebel, what she said, you'll die tomorrow at this time. It trumped everything else that he had watched God do in and through him with the prophets of Baal and the fire come from heaven. It's like he forgot all that. And he was afraid of one woman. God restored Elijah to his purpose for him. First Kings 19.13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
In verse 15 of 1 Kings 19, the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram. Elijah sums up what truly troubles him. 1 Kings 19, 14, this is what Elijah said. Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah sees God's work on his behalf like before. And Jesus gave up his rights for all of us. What would God have us to do? We can say this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Faith is the answer. Don't be a pessimistic person. Don't be negative. Be a man of faith. Say to yourself, God created me in my mother's womb. God has sustained me all these years. God's going to see me to the day I breathe my last breath. The Bible says he has your days ordained and he knows how many hairs are on your head. God loves you. In return, begin to love him back. And just like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, thine be done. My friend, you must surrender control of all you know of you to all you know of God. And he brings peace to your soul, which is where your mind is, your emotions, and your will. Amen. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.